MuggleCast is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy hosting plans are now more powerful than ever. Best of all, plans start at just $3.95 a month. And no matter what plan you choose, your site receives 24-7 maintenance and protection in the GoDaddy.com world-class data center. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out, and save an additional 10% on any order. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. Hello, this is David Heyman, and I'm the producer of the Harry Potter films, and this is MuggleCast. Because Dumbledore is just one reckless educator, this is MuggleCast, episode 211, for October the 17th, 2010. Welcome, everyone, to MuggleCast episode 211. It's Micah, Jamie, Nick, and I this week. Two English accents on the show. We're going to outrank you soon. We're going to take over this show. Well, hopefully we can decipher the difference between your two voices. You should be able to, Andrew. You should be able to. You you should know what I sound like after all this time. <laughs> 211 episodes. I do, but it's it's still... You still both have that accent, and it still throws me Wait, off. Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Two, 211 episodes and some IRL time, as all the kids are saying now. <laughs> oh, you mean in real life? Yeah, and you don't even know. Oh, well, that's, that's just charming. That is. I, do, I do, I do. It's just... I, I can t- I can kind of tell Nick. No offense, but your voice is just a bit higher than Jamie's, so I can decipher that way. That's because he's two years younger, though. Give him two years, and he'll probably be speaking like this. <laughs> I'm going to try that for the remainder of this episode. Yeah, go on, see if you can pull it off. Jamie, Jamie, I don't have to do the show anymore because you can do my voice too. Yeah, yeah, I'll do yours. <laughs> there you go. I, it'll just be a one-man show. Andrew, you're going to have to find a new job. <laughs> oh no. Well, no, we, we need everyone for the show this week because there's lots of news to talk about. And, of course, we have chapter by chapter and a fun Dueling Club segment. So let's get to it. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Jamie Lawrence. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Nick Myers. Michael, we're just a month away from Deathly Hallows Part 1 now, so lots of news to talk about. And it's come up so quickly. I know, I was going to say, it's amazing that it's it's only 30 days away. It's just, seems like only yesterday Eric and Emerson were going to the theater to see uh, the screening. <laughs> what actually was the story behind that? Because I read it, and, and it read to me like, I was walking past a building, and suddenly someone came out and said, do you want to see the new Harry Potter film? And I said yes, and I went in and saw it. <laughs> To me, that well, just didn't sound real. Well, it, it is very odd that, of course, it would be Emerson that, that got selected for this, but that's the truth. This is where they do these screenings, these test screenings in Chicago, and Emerson was already going to see a movie, 
and somebody there said, would, would you like to see a movie? They didn't say it was Harry Potter, but Emerson sort of guessed that it was Harry Potter since it was getting close to the release and they always do the test screenings in Chicago for whatever reason. Or and, did he uh, just say that he guessed it after he saw it? Because <laughs> then he'd I sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, he guessed before, and he had emailed me. He was like, I think it's going to happen tomorrow. All right, cool. Like, All right. Nice. Yeah, so. so what's going on in the news? Well, Deathly Hallows finally got a rating here in the United States. The MPAA gave it a PG-13 rating. I don't think there's really too much of a surprise there. We It was a bit worrisome because with Apple Prince, it was rated PG, so... Question was, would they really would they rate part one PG thirteen? And they did. Well, so, I mean, when you, it's not that big of a deal. You start it killing affect- people. I think you have to rate it PG thirteen. And Dumbledore's death, you know, like I said on the last episode, it kind of looked like he was just floating. You know, it, it was very weird, dramatic. Though. What's that? Don't you think it's weird that if you start if you create a film and people die, you have to rate it PG thirteen. Whereas in life, people die, so it's just a reflection of what happens in everyday life. Yeah, you don't need a PG-13 rating to live. Well, didn't you see that a few years ago they decided to rate life PG-13? L- so. Life? Yeah, like life. No. Oh, life. What's like actual life. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought <laughs> I thought, I thought I was really clever there and you, that had gone way over your head, but apparently it went way, <laughs> no. it went way over my head instead. <laughs> well, you know, Jamie, that, that's an excellent point, though, because they didn't rate The Lion King PG-13. No, and that was, that was really sad, so... That was sad. Not to spoil the film for people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you only said it was sad. Or like uh, Up. I haven't seen Up, but quite a grown man in my office confided in me that he cried. So <laughs> I did. I have a deep secret to tell you. I cried during Up. Did you? What? Did no, you as I'm, well? Oh, no. You, you were paraphrasing it, it was oh, The beginning was very sad. Our but chemistry's well, gone, Andrew. <laughs> the p- <laughs> The problem with the MPAA is that it's a bunch of parents just rating the films. So I don't oh, think really? there's, yeah, I don't think there are many standards. It's sort of just like what they feel. It's very, it, there's a whole documentary on it called, uh, this film is not rated, I think. That's and weird. It, it's parents it tries to track down the people in the MPAA and they're like very secretive about it. It's, it's it was a pretty interesting documentary. That's pretty so, stupid. Yeah, it's all over the place. And the film hasn't been rated on? in the UK yet either, right? No. We would expect that it would receive, what, Nick, 12A, you said? A 12A again, yeah. That's the PG-13 equivalent here. But so. Half-Blood Prince also got a 12A in the UK, which, like you said, Andrew, is a PG-13 equivalent, but it was rated PG here in the United States, so it seems like there's no consistency. We have uh, strict guidelines here, so um, if it has dark dark horror, threatening, and deaths and stuff, it will get the 12A rating, so... Um, whereas in America, they just have the parents doing it. We How weird is that? Over here, Nick, can you imagine it if in the UK they said, oh, we're going to get the parents just to rate something? They'd be, they'd be Especially uproar. the Daily Mail readers. The Daily Mail readers doing it, yeah. God, that would be, that would be insane. I can't believe it. Oh, you just do things weird in America. Yeah, we do. Well, the other big news about Deathly Hallows is that Part 1 will not be available in 3D. And uh, WB released a statement uh, a couple weeks ago saying that uh, they weren't able to finish everything from a technical standpoint. And uh, I think this is a good thing. I mean, why put a movie out that is not going to meet fan 
needs if it's not complete and it's going to look like crap. It shows their commitment to quality. Yeah, it does. And also, uh, we don't want to have one more film where it's like, you know, oh, it's in 3D, it's in 3D, and then you get there and the first 20 seconds are in 3D and the last two minutes are, and then you think, well, that's not really a 3D film, is it? That's yeah, just... I have to admit, that was the way they marketed Half-Blood Prince was 3D it was, was 3D, yeah. Yeah, they didn't say just the first five, ten minutes. However, part one was going to be, uh, I'm pretty sure the plan for part one and now part two is that the entire film is 3D. Which you've seen in quite a few films recently. I mean, Avatar and a bunch of pretty much every film now has a three uh, also has a three D version. But good on WB for deciding that the quality just wasn't there and uh, they couldn't get it done in time. But uh, we wanted to read uh, a couple of tweets that people sent along as to uh, you know how they felt about this the the film not being available in three D. So Andrew, did you want to read some of them? Yeah, the first one's from Kerpal Jutla. It says, bit disappointing that DH Part 1 isn't going to be in 3D, but at least they didn't move the movie back six months again for it. That's very true. Can you imagine, like, if it was their fault for the delay and then they decided to push it back? (laughs) It's Lauren Yvonne says, I think it's great because I don't have the option to waste money to see if it's any good. We all know 3D is cool, but crap. I think that's a great slogan. (laughs) You see, like... Harry Potter coming soon in 3D. Cool, but crap. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Ye- Yetto says, I'm disappointed it's not in 3D. I was really looking forward to it. And I don't get why some people are so happy either. Sheena Beans 2 says, I was personally excited for the movie in 3D, but I was going to watch it in 2D. Their choice is just losing the money. Finally, Zoo here says, Kind of happy about no 3D. When films are shot in 2D, but are 3Dized in post-production, 3D is subpar. See that's so true. See Alice in Wonderland. It, what if part two? They're not happy with part two. I mean, now because now part two has to be really good because they're like, yeah, part one. We we did you guys a favor. We didn't show you show you it because it was so bad. Yeah. Uh, is there a potential though for them to re-release the movie in 3D sometime oh, yeah. early next year? Part one and put it in theaters as 3D part one. I bet they would do that right before the release of part two. It'd make up the 30 million they've invested in it already. And it would build the yeah. hype up. <laughs> and, and, and actually, it would be really cool to see part one and part two back-to-back in a theater. I'm sure they the, will do that. I'm, I'm, they're yeah. they're going to do that, aren't they? And they just run them together completely. I yeah, really yeah, exactly. Well, Jamie, you mentioned earlier that uh, there was a lot of promotional posters you saw when you were going to the movie theater, and uh, yeah. I'm not sure that all of these were there in your theater, but uh, there's been quite a few. I mean, has have there been any that have stood out to anybody? I have to say, like, this year I thought they've been a bit poor. Like, the ones I've seen tend to just have HP7 on a backdrop of Hogwarts, and that's about it. Like, perhaps, perhaps my... Movie theaters just crap, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> well, know. Well, the recent ones, uh, MuggleNet was able to release two exclusively, which was really cool. And they were posters of Snape and Voldemort, and they have Hogwarts Castle in the background. Those were nice. And then we've been getting these beautiful profile shots of all the main characters, and uh, we got Dobby, Harry, Ron, Hermione, nice Snape, Bellatrix, uh, Greyback. Um, who I mean, a couple others too? They and and they're beautiful because they're close-up shots, and you can see every little uh, pore on their face. So proper HD, and, yeah. You know, I was gonna say though, the the Dobby one. I I don't think 
uh, is good from a promotional standpoint, though, because nobody knows who he is. I mean, the last film he was in was um, Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, he's been that's absent. a fair point. Yeah, I guess they're just trying to cover all, um, you know, all characters. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, it was like using Fenrir Greyback for Half Blood Prince. Nobody knows who he is, so why yeah, are you no, promoting it? And I thought the Seven Potters one is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that one leaked a little too early before it was complete. I don't think this is the finished product. We we posted it on Mongolian a couple of days ago. It's a very wide banner showing uh Harry the seven potters on one side and Oh yeah, that's vault. awful. Yeah, it, it looks like it's it from the like, video game. The slogan with trust no one did and I always think that was really, really weird. Bit cheesy as well, yeah. Trust no one. It's so overused. <laughs> this one looks like my grandma photoshopped it. It's terrible. <laughs> I think I see she her there, actually. <laughs> what? She wanted her two minutes of fame. <laughs> no, she, her finger actually actually came in front of the lens if you look in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I think it's just incomplete. I don't think you'll see that one in movie theaters. Yeah, it's not very good. Because you know how they usually have those really wide banners? And they're cool, but this one's just, this one's just odd. So yeah, it's nice to see all the posters, and I'm sure soon you will see them all in the movie theater. Right now, I think the one that's in all theaters is the one of the the burning wait, castle. Wait, wait, just uh, just a uh, in that poster. Have you seen how Voldemort's holding his wand? He's holding it between his two like top two fingers. Like, yeah, that looks absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It's like a Roman centurion yeah. holding a sword and like putting it between his knees. You know, that's stupid. It's not that good. I have terrible. a feeling this is just not finished. Yeah. 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 What else is going on in the news? Well, we talked a little bit about the, the video game when I said that poster looks like uh, that's where it came from. But uh, yeah, uh, EA actually released a trailer um, earlier this week from the Part 1 video game. And Nick, I know you had a chance to actually go to EA and experience the game for yourself, but I think this game finally looks like the one we've been waiting for, just from the action itself. Yeah, they've gone about their approach completely differently on this game. The content has allowed them to open up what they do with it, and they've built a whole new uh, game engine to harness the high-definition consoles. And There's now millions more pixels in the characters, so they can really focus on Getting things like the stubble on Harry's face to really shine through, and they've gone about it. What about it's tasks much more now? action orientated. Um, there are going to be tasks. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say, but they, there's an element of when you're in the campsite, you've got to go around, go around and collect um, bits to make potions to heal yourself or to protect the campsite. And there are, and apparently, there's some sort of goblin merchant you'll be trading objects with, and there are then sort of tasks, but obviously there's not going to be the Hogwarts crest styles oh, thing yeah. that we're used to. Oh, yeah. Cool. But um, yeah, it's definitely shaping up to be a much better game, more action orientated. Um, yeah, it should be good. The a lot graphics... of people are criticizing the graphics. I was just going to say, I think they look incredible in this trailer. Yeah, I like them too. I think they look they, really good. They look very lifelike. I mean, the the um, the what the emotion that you see on the faces it's very well animated and like Hermione's hairs and Bellatrix's hair it sort of they've, it moves even, naturally they've even gone and done um do you do any does anyone watch lie to me it's a tv show and it's based on micro expressions and there's something called the facial action coding system which like picks up really minute details in the face and they've even they're now able to uh, animate 20 different places on the character's face at once 
So oh, the level of detail insane. on animation is now so so good. Yeah, yeah, it looks very. And good. I've I've been the cool. biggest critic too of of these games in the past, and and I think this one actually looks better than than anything that's oh, come before. Oh, Micah, it. you've come on, you've learned this lesson before. Well, look, when I get it and I play it. And if I don't like it, I'll retract my statement. I'll admit that I was wrong. <laughs> but it does. It looks better. There's more action. You know, you get those shots, them fighting in the streets of London. They're fighting in the ministry. You know, they're running from the snatchers in the forest. It, and they're facing all these creatures, which I guess they've added in, even though they have nothing to do with the storyline, like Harry running into a dragon in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, it looks better. I mean, I think this is what people were expecting when they've gone out to buy the last two video games. But we'll see. We will see. Um, last show, we uh, w- we had recorded it just before uh, J.K. Rowling's interview with Oprah Winfrey aired here in the United States, and uh, I think we all got a chance to see it, or at least clips from it. And to me, it was pretty standard interview. I mean, it was it was more focused on J.K. Rowling's life as opposed to Harry Potter even though Harry Potter's been such a, a huge part of her life. That, and what I mean by that is there wasn't a lot uh, of Oprah going into the canon. You know, she didn't discuss the story itself. So I don't I don't really think we got much new information on that front. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, and I mean, this, this, this interview was tailored towards Oprah's audience. So, like, Oprah couldn't start asking her, like, questions about Barty Crouch Jr. That would totally turn off Oprah's audience. So... I it was it was it was an okay interview. I think one of the more interesting things that Joe said was that um she she has at least two or three more Potter books in her head um and she would never say no to returning. So, and of course that that made headlines everywhere. JK Rowling says it's possible she may write another Harry Potter book. Well, it's a big change of stance as well because a few years ago she said seven and that's it final no more. She wouldn't even consider the possibility. That's at true. least now it's an option. It's weird That's she's done true. a U-turn, though. She always said, like, it was always, like you say, Nick, it was just no more, no way, definitely not, you know. It's kind of weird. Mm. <laughs> there, there was also a very awkward moment. I haven't seen the whole interview, admittedly. I Well, I haven't seen this part, where J.K. Rowling and Oprah are both talking about how rich they are. <laughs> and everyone I've talked to said that it was so awkward. Who's richer? The viewer. Who, who is richer, then? It's got to be Oprah, easily. Oh, I really? thought so. Mm. Easily. J.K. Rowling's probably got like oh, 1.5 billion. And Oprah's probably got like 4 billion. I don't know. Those those are figures I just picked out of my head. But It was such a funny clip, though, because they're both trying to be really humble and say the money hasn't changed them and everything. And then, then they suddenly <laughs> yeah. talk about how they can buy everything without thinking about <laughs> yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> very awkward. But, um, yeah, oh, wow. I mean, if, if, oh, sorry. Okay. What? By 2008, her yearly income had increased to 275 million. And is that that's Joe or Oprah? Oprah. Oprah. And uh, according oh, okay. to Forbes, in September 2010, she was worth over 2.7 billion. Well, I just I wonder what Joe is if if she has this idea to write two or three more books. What place? Where where do these take place in terms of the Harry Potter timeline? Is it is it after? Yeah, I mean, could they be prequels? Could they be stories like as, uh, with Harry and 
Ron and Hermione as adults. Like, I wonder where in the scope of so the weird. timeline these would take place. That would be so hard I would to hope off. it would be after because there's so much he revealed in interviews after the final book went out that a lot of the fans doesn't don't see. And the characters still live well in their head. I'd like to think she'd do it after. Yeah, I, I would think that the whatever she wrote would have to have the trio still feature, be be the main main event, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but just some other pieces from this interview. Uh, she mentioned that the books wouldn't be what they were if uh, Joe's mother hadn't died. She said at least half of Harry's journey is dealing with death. It's there on every single page. If she hadn't died, I don't think it is too strong to say there wouldn't be Harry Potter. Um, and uh, because say things like the mirror very said is a perfect example of that, isn't it? Where she drew upon that real early on as well Nick. to shape the book. Yeah, and she actually mentioned that in the interview, didn't she? Or, or maybe it was another interview that she brought up the mirror, or was it Oprah that brought up the mirror? Um, uh, and you know, then she also addressed uh, people like uh, Laura Mallory when she says, "I'm not pushing any belief system." The scene in Deathly Hallows was an allusion to a belief system I was raised on. I think if the evil makes it legitimate for parents to say that this is a little old for my child, so there she was just talking about, you know, she's fully accepting of parents saying, look, the evil that's in these books is, is a little bit too mature at this point in time for my children. They don't have to read it, you know, but, but using the whole religious argument, I think, you know, she, she's not very fond of what else is going on in the news. So the last bit of news is that there's this book coming out on the Harry Potter films uh, next week on October the 19th called Harry Potter Film Wizardry. And Andrew, you and I have gotten a chance to look at this book, to review this book. And really, it, it's something I think that a lot of Harry Potter fans will really enjoy because it gives you an in-depth look behind the scenes of the films in great detail. Yeah, it's really well done because it has all these new pieces from primarily David Heyman and Stuart Craig about designing the films um and there's also a couple uh, well actually quite a few new interviews with the cast it's just it's really full of detail it's a very large book i i i describe it as an encyclopedia of the films because they really cover every aspect of the films uh different sets scenes characters actors i mean everything is covered in here and also nice I, it's loaded with pictures and tons of uh uh, short, I, I, I guess short essays, so to speak, about different aspects of the film, films from the people who actually did them. So it's very legit. Uh, very nice concept art. Um, shame about the cover though. Yeah. I mean, it, the thing is, when you, when everyone first saw this book, and this is what I thought, I was like, what the heck is this? It, it's just, the cover is just so basic that you don't expect that so much detail is going to be inside. But then when you hold it and open it up, you see that it's very large. It's got quite a few different, um, props so to speak that you can take out of the book like there's a advanced potion making journal and there's a uh, uh marauder's map there's a proc- proclamation one of the uh, umbridge's educational decrees so it's it's you know you say this about a lot of things but it's the perfect christmas gift so <laughs> the perfect holiday gift so definitely check it out it hits bookstores soon just in time for the. I, I thought the they did a really good job of of hitting every character, like characters that you would think were obscure in the films, and you know they took the time to to sit down with them and and talk with them, and like you said, there's sort of these exclusive interviews, and also what they did with with Deathly Hallows Part One. I mean, they they hit all those scenes uh, that you expect to see in the film, Godric's Hollow, 
you know, they revisit the ministry, the love good house, all these things in such detail, you know, you would think that maybe WB would have prevented them from including them. Uh, but you know, the wedding is in here and then they also give you a look at, uh, part two and, uh, it's, uh, some pretty cool stuff. So, uh, I forget what it retails for. I think it's around $40, but uh, through other places like Amazon, you can get it a little bit cheaper than that. Yeah, it'll be marked down in bookstores too, I'm sure. So Sounds reasonable for what you're getting. Yeah, yeah actually, I, I think it's worth the 40 I mean, there, there really is a lot of yeah, stuff. It's, it's hardcover, so. and it, it's hundreds of pages easily. Um, so yeah. you are getting value for it. And endless hours of entertainment, <laughs> just like Muggle Pass. <laughs> and this is free. So, yeah, why did we ever do right. this for free? I don't know. We should start charging. I I think this is a, each episode's worth at least forty dollars. Yeah, and that's absolutely. when our listener count goes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun, we should do an episode and charge for it. See <laughs> people buy. No, I'm kidding. This has not gone to my head. I swear. That is all the news. Good. So let's get into chapter by chapter now. This week we're looking at Goblet of Fire chapters thirteen through fifteen. And we will start with uh, chapter 13. Micah, uh, lead us, please, through the Mad-Eye Moody chapter. So chapter 13 starts with uh, all the lessons uh, for uh, Harry in his fourth year, and we get a pretty in-depth look at uh, a couple of them. And the chapter starts off with uh, the trio headed to Herbology, and uh, Professor Sprout has them collect Bubotuber pus. Now... My question is, and this is going off the uh, the Mandrakes from Chamber of Secrets, does does Professor Sprout actually teach, or or does she just running like an underground uh, market of uh, of stuff? I don't know. I, I I I she she does seem a bit odd, but there can't be that much to teach either about plants, really. I mean, she probably just sits around watering them. And, uh you just know. offended a lot of. Uh... Plant really cut the majors. Out I don't want. I don't want <laughs> Well, no. I mean, there. I'm sure. No, there's a. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the exact name of it, but there are people who study plants. Yeah, it just seems like she's always doing something um, for somebody else. You know what I mean? It, it's it's so oh, they need the mandrakes for this purpose, or they need this pus for another purpose, and it never actually uh, seems like there's a, a a lesson on something. I think she's just a hands off teacher, though. It's like if you if you're trying to teach a kid how to change a bike tire you let them do it and you guide them and stuff i think she's just a a, one of those teachers who takes a back seat i know what you mean though she doesn't it's not like any of the other magical ones where you know they they get stuck in and show everything but maybe she's just different yeah maybe that's i actually could use some of this bubo tuber because i'm reading now that it acts as a treatment for severe acne so I could definitely use that. All right. Well, we'll get you some. <laughs> Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, the the second class uh, that uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione go to is Care of Magical Creatures. And uh, Hagrid, of course, teaches this class. And uh, he introduces them to Blast and Inscrutes. And what happens here is uh, Draco asks a question. You know, he's he's really rude with Hagrid initially, but then he rephrases it. And uh, Hagrid's inability to teach here, I thought, really comes through. 
um, because he has no idea why anybody would want a blast ended screw, no idea what to feed them, and doesn't really know a whole lot about their anatomy, yet he's willing to expose his students to them. So I'm sort of wondering, you know, is this a bad hire on Dumbledore's part? We know Hagrid's affinity for dangerous creatures, but, you know, he doesn't even know the the important information about these things. He just kind of brought them to class. I have a feeling there's going to be a certain theme with this whole chapter by chapter segment about how good Dumbledore is at managing a school, because in chapter 14 and 15, we also question the purpose of teaching the young students unforgivable curses. Um, but I, th- isn't, isn't this sort of like the Sprat argument that you were making? Like they're not actually learning anything. They're just sort of doing. No, no, no. I, I, Sprout, I think is knowledgeable and, and she knows what she's teaching. It's, she just has a weird method of doing it. Whereas I don't think Hagrid is very knowledgeable. Yeah, for Hagrid, it's just a hobby. He's learning whilst he's doing it, and mm. he's then got to try to teach that to the kids at the same time. You know, and we've said this before, that the professors are a bunch of misfits at this school. They really are, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether you're talking about uh, Hagrid or, you know, the Defense Against the Dark Art teacher, whomever that is, or Trelawney. You know, it, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of established teachers that are there other than maybe McGonagall. I mean, even Snape is a former Death Eater. <laughs> Well, mm, I don't Well, Dumbledore, obviously Dumbledore and Hagrid have a really good relationship. Dumbledore trusts Hagrid, and Hagrid obviously does a really good job at taking care of the creatures. So I think Dumbledore trusts that he knows something. Uh, and, and then again, what, what is the point of learning about these blast-ended scroots? I mean, I guess in school you do learn a lot of, uh, you learn about quite a few things that you don't really need to know, but. Maybe maybe Hagrid just had other things on his mind. I guess also things like his trying to cur- teach the curriculum given by the ministry or whatever, and they're not the sub animals that excite Hagrid and the things he knows about. It's not the dragons he's got to teach. It's these blast-ended troops. So I think it's not necessarily his forte in the magical creature um, topic. <laughs> That makes sense. It doesn't, yeah. does it? Yeah, it does. Um, and we'll get to another uh, teacher in a couple of uh, minutes here. But, uh, you know, during this chapter, Hermione sneaks off to the library several times. Uh, so I just thought that that was important to note. Um, we come to learn that, uh, you know, eventually learn that she's off planning spew. And, uh, you know... Uh, it's not spew. It's S-P-E-W. <laughs> I'm sorry there, uh, Hermione. I'll, I'll remember to, uh, to say that from now on, but, uh. Thank you. Wow. You why the role reversal good. though? I mean, Ron, you know, takes a couple of digs at her. You know, he says, well, oh, well now all of a sudden you're stuffing your face. You know, you obviously got hungry. That's the reason why you're, you're willing to eat the food that the house elves are preparing, you know? So, um, you know, why go back on your, uh, on your promise, aren't there other ways well, to get food? Well, she's not going to starve to death. I think she death. was just hungry. I don't like, think yeah, there's other ways. Like, it's one of those things like you get principled, but you know everyone's got principles, and some people think they have to f- follow them all the time, or they're like, or they're failing, and some think, well, there's degrees of principality or whatever the word is. You know, like she helps house elves m- more than other people do, but she can't, I guess, starve herself, like you say. Don't know. It's sort of like when you are against trees being cut down, but then you go and buy paper because, ah, well, I mean, it's going to be printed anyway. It's not like I'm well, stopping that, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, like, 
I mean, that's at least what I think. It's probably horrible, but it's, I mean, you know, they're making the food anyway. It's going to be there whether Hermione rebels or not. I mean, sure. That's a terrible argument. No, no, no. Well, and so is uh, what Hermione's doing. I mean, she's all for it, but she's still eating the food, so. Or maybe. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens later on, but uh, now they uh, go off to double divination with Trelawney. And uh, during the class, of course, Trelawney, whenever Harry is around, predicts his imminent doom. And uh, she tells him, I fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass, and perhaps sooner than you think. Now, I'm wondering what this is, because usually her predictions are pretty accurate, right? Uh, She dreads Voldemort coming back. He dreads Voldemort coming back. And it's coming pretty soon. Sure. All right. Well, also during this class, um, as we all know, uh, Lavender Brown uh, really likes Professor Trelawney and is a bit of a show-off in the class. And, um, you know, she thinks that she has found um, some unnamed planet, I believe it was. And uh, Professor Trelawney comes over and says, no, dear, that's Uranus. And then Ron says, can I have a look at Uranus too, Lavender? That is classic, isn't it? I thought this is the first real um, mature sort of joke that's in the series. Yeah, but at the same time, like this is totally the joke everyone said in high school too or middle school. Yeah, oh, still yeah, your anus. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's nice to see that there's a little bit of uh, dirty humor in the uh, in the Potter series. But uh, oh yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> what are you saying about yourself, Micah? That I like dirty. I'm humor. happy to see this dirty humor. I like dirty yeah. humor. That's what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, uh, we move on, and uh, the trio are coming out of the Great Hall, and they run into uh, Draco Malfoy, who's bragging about the fact that Ron's dad is in the Daily Prophet again, and uh, of course. It's written by Rita Skeeter, uh, and uh, they get into a little bit of a fight, and it goes something like this. Draco insults Arthur and Molly. Uh, Harry insults Narcissa. Draco tries to curse Harry, and then Mad-Eye Moody makes an appearance and turns Draco into a ferret. And this scene is completely taken out of context in the movie. Uh, because it doesn't occur in the Great Hall. It's actually after Ron and Harry get into a fight, so Ron is not even there. It's outside. And it's yeah. outside as well, isn't it? It, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't work really. But it, it was still really funny. I mean, and and the look on Moody's face in the film was hilarious. I think because he's controlling him. Um, and and actually, besides besides it being out of context in a different scene, it was pretty loyal. It was pretty accurate. I mean, how, how Moody was throwing him around and how McGonagall steps in and freaks yeah, out. Yeah, the lines are actually the same, too. You know, didn't yeah, Dumbledore yeah. tell you about this? And he says, yeah. maybe, or whatever it was. So, um, you know, I'm wondering, do you think Mad-Eye overheard this conversation and maybe he felt the need to step in and protect Ron um, because his father did come to his aid? And, and I know this is Barty Crouch Jr., but maybe Barty Crouch is thinking, hmm, you know, Arthur came over to investigate for me i need to sort of act as if um you know uh, I'm, I'm doing something good on behalf of his son or do you just think it was a matter of chance that moody was there i thought he was just trying to win over support and get closer to harry and ron i think that's completely true nick yeah he's right. just trying to you know it, it kind of joe kind of perhaps 
tries to make you think that it's because his dad, you know, helped him out. But yeah, it's just to try and build his trust and get him to trust him so in the future he can screw him over, as it were. Yeah. Now, I'm also wondering, though, is is uh, Mad-Eye slash Barty Crouch Jr. so willing to do this to Draco because he really doesn't like Lucius Malfoy. Um, you know, Moody tells Draco to tell his father that he will be keeping an eye on his son. Um, you know, it, obviously Barty Crouch is not Lucius Malfoy's biggest fan because he feels that Lucius betrayed, you know, Voldemort. So is there a little bit of that in this too? Perhaps. I mean, that that is a fair point as well. Like, it's always nice when there are t- several reasons for a character doing something. And I guess when there are several reasons, you can't be sure which one is true. But I think, you know, as such a dedicated Death Eater, he probably will feel quite strongly about that. So I can imagine that perhaps is part two, or he got an extra kick out of it, maybe, because of that. But then, you know, uh, Moody starts talking about uh, who Draco's head of house is, and he refers to Snape as saying, you know, he needs to sit down and have a conversation with another old friend. Now, another here is is interesting because the only person he's mentioned prior to this point is Lucius Malfoy. So I was wondering if if this was a clue that Moody wasn't necessarily who he appeared to be. That's a fair point as well. Yeah, I guess if you read that closely, you'd be, oh, well, what was the first friend, you know, and why is he friends with him? And, you know, but I actually I think you probably just assume because he was um, an aura and Lucius Malfoy was a Death Eater, he... He was, you know, he was cat- trying to catch him, but I guess, yeah, you were wrong to think that, and really, he he was in league with them. It's quite interesting, really. Yeah, it's good writing. Yeah, it's it, you know, it's almost like is it a sarcastic or is it old true? friend? Yeah, you know, yeah. like even though it's yeah. clever, yeah, very clever. So it's a, it's sort of, it's a double meaning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hopefully, we'll see more of these too as we read along. Yep. Now knowing the truth. And so uh, Harry and Ron are, are really excited, obviously, about the way that, that Moody has treated Draco. And so they're looking forward to uh, his upcoming class. But Ron's a bit upset because they have to wait a couple days uh, in order to uh, to have Moody as a teacher. But that wraps up that chapter. All right. Next is Chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses. So we learn right off the top of the uh, chapter that Snape is acting abnormally spiteful towards Moody. And what is the reason for that, Mike? I couldn't figure it out. Why does he not like Moody? Well, yeah, more than more than other defense against the dark arts. Well, I would arts say teachers. that he, he has the defense against the dark arts job, um but uh I, but the way Joe was writing it was that there was something even more. And I don't know what that is. I mean, unless Snape just had a bad feeling about Moody, and that was it. Well, at this point, I don't think he has any idea who uh, Mad-Eye Moody is. You know, he doesn't believe him to be Barty Crouch Jr. in in any way. So maybe he just doesn't like the idea of an ore potentially breathing down his neck. You know, keeping an eye on him, maybe he doesn't trust him. Well, in the previous chapter, the Weasley twins tell Ron that Moody is like no other teacher because he's experienced the dark arts. And this is proven when Moody teaches the trio about unforgivable curses for the first time. Uh, And for the first lesson. I mean, he just basically jumps right into it, as he says. He's just like, let's go. Let's do this. Moody mentions he only has one year with the students. And Ron asks why he's only there for a year. And Moody says this this year of teaching is just a special favor to Dumbledore. Um, 
and th- and that's interesting. I guess Moody and Dumbledore sort of just had this agreement, sort of in the style that Slughorn and Dumbledore do in Half Blood Prince, where Slughorn just says one year, or I don't know if he says one year, but Dumbledore, you know, has to work to convince him. If Dumbledore is aware of this, had he already been thinking about a new DADA teacher to replace him, or did he, or or did he just assume that Moody, after he came back, he would just he would he would realize what he's missing he's and he quite, would stick like, around longer. Optimistic and trusting Dumbledore, so I think it's kind of like when he tried to get Slughorn in, and you know, and he was like, "Well, trust me, Harry. You know, he'll he'll come back and stuff." I think. I guess Dumbledore's aware of the cursed role as well, so he's probably already looking for next year's assuming <laughs> he isn't coming back. He's like, I know you're not gonna I know you're not gonna survive one year anyway, so it could be a number of things really. I don't know. As as headmaster I'd be working to somehow break that curse. But maybe with Voldemort around that oh, just yeah. isn't high up on the oh, priorities yeah, list. So Getting back to the class that the trio are in, Moody mentions that despite the Ministry's thinking, Dumbledore and Moody believe students should not have to wait until their sixth sixth year to learn about unforgivable curses. Do you guys agree with this? Uh, It's comparable to learning about major issues in the real world. Like, I mean, you don't really learn about this in, in, in classes in at least American schools, but, you know, murdering and torture, this is basically what it's comparable to. And the students here are what, 14, 15, maybe 16? So is there, it, should they be learning about unforgivable curses in their fourth year? And more importantly, why would he teach them this? Because he's just given Harry the ammo later on to use. We know he tries the spells, he's not very successful at them, but like the Crucio. Why would he teach them these things that, that will later be used against him and Voldemort and the Death Eaters, it's crazy. I agree. I thought, I, well, it's one of those questions that's age-old, isn't it? And it's sort of, well, should people n- know about the world they live in or should they live in a bubble or how much should children be aware of and how much, uh, how, you know, can you trust children to handle those issues, you know, in the right way? And is it, is a, is a, you, you know, she's good at bringing ethical considerations into the books and this is one of those things. And, I mean, they seem to handle it pretty well. Like, you know, you, you have the Fred and Georges who say, oh, that was cool, that was cool. Neville, obviously, is is pretty pretty um, upset by it, and that's because of personal, you know, circumstance. And I think that's a good point that she's making. Like, you know, you, know, you can say you can do something, and it could affect, a, you know, very few people, but it still affects a few people. So, I mean, it's hard to know where she stands on it, really. You know, from, from that scene, it's quite hard. I think there's a difference, though, because most of these students, they know about the curses. It's just actually seeing them applied to something. So I think there's a huge difference there. You know, uh, they know the names of the curses. You know, Moody goes around to the class and he asks, you know, what are the names of the unforgivable curses? You know, and and there's a difference between knowing them and, and actually performing them. And I think to perform them in front of these students, though, do they really need to see that? I mean, if you read in a book, this is what the Imperius Curse does. This is what the Cruciatus Curse does. This is what the Killing Curse does. I think you have a pretty good idea. You don't need to see it necessarily in front of you. No, I think that's true, yeah. But, I mean, I can't think of yeah. a real-world example. But, yeah, it's kind of like... The, I guess it's... Yeah, but you could argue that it's 
them showing them how it's done so they don't go and see it in a bad way, like with friends. And I know that he said, well, you aren't powerful enough to create a Vada Kedavra and other, the other curses, but it's kind of like showing them in the most, you know, the best way possible so that they don't hurt themselves trying to find out something that interests them. I don't know. It's Yeah, it can go both ways. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, in, in Dumbledore and Mad-Eye's defense, as you guys brought up, there's, they can't conduct these spells themselves. Yeah. They're, they're just not powerful enough yet. So in that regard, and, and, it, and it is better that they're learning about it in an educational environment first rather than, you know, seeing it firsthand. So, cause if they see it firsthand, they don't really know what's going on. But wait. You saying that if 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 they you know are out in the street and they just happen to run into somebody uh, doing a crucio on on somebody they don't know exactly you know it, it, that it's an unforgivable curse what it actually does I guess so I guess so I'm I mean I could go into his lesson and come out and think the world's completely out to get me like he seems to impart that on people which is probably not. Perhaps he doesn't go about it the right way, saying you need to know these things because people are going to attack you and you will need to know what to do. Perhaps a better way would be, you know, we're showing you this so you don't do it yourself and these are really deadly and some people may do it. You know, I mean, I don't know. Again, it's a character, so it's it's uh, he would do that. So it's, you know, that's how he would act. So, well, you know, I guess, you, you know, you can't really say it's wrong. Like but. we mentioned, um, they... They they watch these they watch Moody do these spells on, on do these curses on spiders and it's a it's a bit unsettling and it makes everyone feel kind of nervous in the classroom. After the lesson, the trio find Neville shaken by what Moody had said and performed. And when approaching Neville about it, when the trio approach approach Neville about it, Moody walks up and offers Neville some tea at his office. And while we don't know at the time, presumably Moody's talking to Neville. It, do you guys think Moody talked to? Neville about how his parents were tortured, and of course this is Barty Crouch Jr., so uh, the one who tortured his parents. So, I mean, it, it Lord knows what the heck went on. I'd up imagine in that he was getting some kick out of telling him. Yeah, yeah, enjoying like hearing the son <laughs> talk about. He met him. Yeah, and uh, this is the point at which Moody, which we'll find out later on, plants a clue on Neville for the second task about the. Uh, about the jelly weed, yeah, the jelly weed. Now, so. isn't the different in the movie too? Because I don't think it's the same in the book. Like, I don't think that Neville is the one who mentions the Cruciatus curse, is he? Yeah, no, he does. He does because Moody's. Oh wait, you're talking about the book or the film? The film, he, the does, he does because I think like... they do it in the film to set up that plot point. But I don't think he. he oh does no, he in does the in the book as well. Does, he's, he's, no, no, he no, he yes, he puts his arm up and he's really nervous and. Moody asks him to repeat it, and he goes, your name's Neville. Isn't oh, it? yeah, then, yeah. And his hands go white, and that's when Hermione tells him to to um, to stop doing it on that spider. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So then Harry spots Fred and George writing something together. This is later in the night uh, in the common, common room, and they're looking suspicious in the corner. The only hint of what's going on is when he overhears George say, no, that sounds like we're accusing him. Got to be careful. So we'll learn about that later on. Then Hermione comes in the common room and introduces her brand new campaign, SPEW. This is what Hermione has been working on in the library, like Micah said earlier. And she, quote, can't believe no one's done anything about it before now. And Hermione gets kind of bossy here. And she hires Ron and Harry as treasurer and secretary, respectively, without even really asking them. 
and uh, at, there's not too much spew talk here be- or SPW talk here because then all of a sudden Hedwig shows up with the letter from Sirius and Sirius says he's coming back immediately because the uh, Harry's visions are in line with the rumors he had been hearing. He doesn't say where or when he'll arrive. He just says he's coming coming back north. And this angers Harry because he doesn't want Sirius to get caught by the Dementors because then it would really be all his fault that he was caught again. And this leads us into chapter 15. Micah, could you kick us off and we'll go back and forth on this? Sure. So still feeling guilty about uh, Sirius's decision to come back, uh, Harry writes a letter to him saying that everything is fine and he only imagined that his scar was hurting. Uh, and uh, Casper tweeted in, Isn't Harry a bit naive when he tries to stop Sirius from coming? I reckon I just imagined my scar hurting. I was half asleep, is the quote. I think it's more than naive. I think it's reckless. He's, you know, if if he'd believed him, which he didn't, then the entire book could have gone a completely different way. It's just, it's really stupid of him to do stuff like that. I know he doesn't like to think that people you know, that he's causing issues with people or, you know, he's making people do things because of him rather than because they want to. But he's just, it is a stupid thing to do. But it is him, I guess, you know, Sirius sees it in James and that's why he knows straight away. But Yeah, and 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 as know. we, when Sirius get the replies back to Harry's letter saying, oh, no, it was just that it was just, a, I was just imagining it. You know, like, did Harry really think... Like Caster said, didn't it, it was it was Sirius really going to be like, oh, okay, fine, never mind, peace out. I mean, Sirius is bored too. It's not like he has anything else going on, so he gets excited. I think in a weird way to to know that you know he has something yeah. to. Uh, it's like another start. adventure with James almost. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and that's why he likes it. You know, yeah. So a few weeks later, we're back in Moody's class, and in taking this 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 curse stuff a step further he gets permission from dumbledore to put the imperious curse uh, imperious curse on each of them so they know what it feels like and i this is where dumbledore's decisions you know the decisions he make come into question how can this be okay i mean this is one of the unforgivable curses and granted moody's not making them do anything inappropriate or making them kill themselves but I just, I just think this is so bizarre that this would be allowed. And Moody makes him dance around, but shouldn't the parents have to agree? Yes, agree to yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, if you knew that this type of teaching was going on at school, I mean, first of all, the fact that they taught the un- unforgivable curses is one thing. Now they're performing them on the students. It's you I know, know. <laughs> yeah, that's it's stretching it a bit. It's almost like when you have something comparable happen in in public school here, where the parents don't agree whether it's a book being taught or you know a, a particular subject being brought up. It, you know, it, it causes all this controversy. I would imagine it would cause a tremendous amount of controversy, especially because they need to have a signed form to go into Hogsmeade when it's just. Yeah, exactly. You you know, and they don't need a form for that. You need one for a field trip. The fact Harry's in the class is making him lose his judgment and do things he wouldn't normally do. Uh, I mean, I I guess the the Imperious Curse is a really weird one because I don't really see how you can have a curse in the world where you can just, you know... I mean, like, for an example, it it would, like, completely mess up the law about rape for a, for, for a start like it would 
it would be impossible to, to like, quantify anything in that world legally with the Imperius guys. I mean, they say that. They say, you know, it was impossible when Voldemort was around. Everyone was under the Imperius curse. I... It doesn't... I mean, I don't know. It's just everyone could be under it. You wouldn't ever know who was acting of their own, own accord. And if, you know, then, uh, that, you know, the, the use of it is enough to get a life sentence in Azkaban, but no one's going to know they've been under it, or... It's kind of weird, really. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the only thing that, that this is here to do is, is to set up the fact that Harry can, you know, resist the Imperious Curse. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So... And wild. What's that? Wild. Go ahead. Wild. Um, but I think that's kind of the next point, though, isn't it? That, you know, Harry says that he actually enjoys the sensation, but then realizes he can fight back. So he tries to fight it off completely, but is ultimately unsuccessful. And, and then uh, somebody tweeted in Paul94UK, in Chapter 15, Harry resists the Imperious Curse. So do you think he could resist all of the unforgivable curses? Well, he uh, he did resist Avada Kedavra. We wouldn't have a book if he hadn't done that. <laughs> <laughs> but does Christian. he... Um, yeah, Voldemort performs that on him at the end of this book, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah and, he, and he, he hurts like hell, so... Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. Well, two for three isn't too bad. Two, I mean, two. it's more than anyone else could say. Yeah, that's not bad <laughs> at all, really. If I'm not f- mistaken, doesn't he also use the Imperious Curse on him at some point in the series? Yeah, he makes him... He makes him. Oh, no, he makes him bow. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't, because it, it says Harry felt that familiar, you know, feeling. Was it Deathly Hallows that they used the Imperious no, no, Curse on No, 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 Micah, it's... It, 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 it's in Goblet of Fire at the end when he's like he's like bow bow and and then he's like I won't I won't and then Voldemort's like oh you won't will you you know I I value um I value um bravery or whatever something like that I can't believe I still remember that I haven't read that book in ages but yeah it's I think it's then um here Andrew I've got well and I've got mm-hmm. a question for for you which do you think hurts more the cruciatus curse or in twilight when that um vulturi vampire says pain uh that's a good question i mean they they both seem to have equal effects um uh but because i will be flamed if i give the wrong answer here i will say that the harry potter yeah, one is much worse yeah yeah because i mean jk rowling's clearly a better yeah, writer that's, so that's the right answer. <laughs> well done full marks to you uh, Jamie, I can't b- believe you've read Twilight. Um, oh, you may want to come on my film. other pod. Oh, sure, uh, sure. I would if you invited me. <laughs> oh, we will have to talk about that. But yeah, um, yeah. the way the way Joe described Harry realizing he can control the curse actually makes it sound really easy. It it, co- it seems to come really easy to Harry because he just has this little head, this little voice in the back of his head that says. Oh wait, wait, hold on. I can I can stop this. I can I can get in control of this decision making that's going on right now. So it was interesting that Joe described it as kind of being easy to take over. And yet it's not easy for everyone. So I I guess it takes over your mind too to the point where you can't even think that uh you can control it. <laughs> so I I don't know. The writing there is pretty interesting. What do you think got- about the other tweet? Yeah, we got this other tweet from Protagonist Dev. I never understood how the Imperious Curse worked. Does the one who conjures have to be there near the victim, like a puppet? Do we see Moody actually say the spell? 
Or does he do it silent? No, I, I don't think, think so. I think he does for dramatic yeah, think... effect, doesn't he? Because when he says... Silently? No, no, no. Out loud. Oh, because when audibly. he says Avada Kedavra, there, there's like Harry Phil's a thrill of foreboding. And like, uh, you know, and like a rush of power and stuff. I think he does, because it's like, it's easily exclamation markable and pe- people like it. And I don't know. Perhaps he doesn't. Perhaps he does once, but he doesn't the other time or something. Well, and, and, and that may answer that question. I mean, if you have to say it out, you, I imagine you have to be looking at the person to take over them. I can't imagine that they can be like, you know, in a different part of the school. Well, I mean, you have to remember that Barty Crouch Sr. is under the Imperius curse for this entire book, pretty much, um, from Peter Pettigrew and, and Barty Crouch. Well, obviously, Barty Crouch Jr. is left, so Peter Pettigrew is the one putting the Imperius curse on him. So, you know, how close does Peter Pettigrew have to be to, um, Barty Crouch Sr. Is he like living in the basement or something? I really don't remember, to be honest. I'd always imagine the wand would have to point at the person you you'd have to be within the vicinity to cast a spell on them. And then once it's yeah. once they're under the Imperial you, you don't need to be around them. Anyway. I- I'm looking at the book now. It says Moody raised his wand, pointed it at Harry, and said Imperial. So yes, you say it out loud, and yes, you have to point at the person. But how long Presumably. does it last? I think they said you you have to top uh, it up, maybe. don't you? You can't you can't just leave it. And it doesn't always, it doesn't last forever. Yeah, because they'll naturally resist it over time. Yeah, I mean, it, Moody keeps saying, jump on the desk, jump on the desk, jump now. And maybe that's because Harry's resisting it, but maybe that's what you have to do to kind of keep it going. You have to keep saying things, giving commands, you know? Okay, so moving along, uh, we learn, well, the students learn that the Bobatin and Durmstrang students will be arriving in just a matter of days. And Fred and George, uh, in the meanwhile, Fred and George confront Hermione about her SPW campaign and insist that they are happy, insist that the house elves are happy where they are. Uh, but still, Hermione has none of this. Harry, um, a little bit later in the chapter, Harry gets a letter back from Sirius who knows that Harry is lying about the scar pain being from his imagination, as we mentioned earlier. And Sirius says, don't worry, Harry, I'm, I'm well hidden. I'm not going to get caught. So then, at the end of the chapter, the Bobatin and Durmstrang's students arrive. We meet Madame Maxine and her students with the arrival of their huge carriage. And she's adamant about her horses being well taken care of. Uh, but Dumbledore sh- assures her that her future love enter- interest, of course being Hagrid, will take care of them just fine. Uh, despite not even be able, being <laughs> yeah. able to handle blast-ended screws. Giant horses next. And then the Durmstrang... Right. And then the Durmstrang students show up with their giant chip, and Ron quickly notices that his idol, Crumb, is in the group. <sighs> wow. So exciting. He's I was, was going to say, that's probably a lot to clean up if those horses yeah. are that big. That would take forever, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think there's actually a part later on in the book, like, like Hagrid has, is cleaning out the... Uh, never mind, but... <laughs> <laughs> we'll know later. <laughs> so that's it for chapter by chapter. Next episode, we will look at chapters 16 through 18. So look forward to that. Let's get to some muggle mail now. Nick, could you read the first email from Charlotte? Sure, this is from Charlotte. She's 24 and from Knoxville. And she writes, I was just listening to episode 210 and I noticed a couple of mistakes. When Michael was talking about the latest Deathly Hallows news, he said Scabia was a new character not mentioned in the book. Scabia was mentioned in Deathly Hallows, starting on page 448 of the US Hardcore Edition as one of the Snatches. During your chapter-by-chapter discussion, you were talking about how dustbins 
how the dustbins that were set off in Moody's yard seemed too simple for someone like him. Marty Crouch Jr. was the one who set off the dustbins. And she, she quotes, I made the dustbins move about the yard. I told Arthur Weasley I had heard intruders in my yard who had set off the dustbins. I think Crouch set them off in order to make it look like more of a struggle. I love the show and think you guys do an awesome job, Charlotte. Other than your screw-ups. Yeah, exactly. Now, I <laughs> I thought that Scabier was the one who was made up for this. Wasn't there a Death Eater that was made up specifically for this film? Or am I making that up? Well, we probably have to look into that. I don't know. Yeah, well, okay. Apparently, he was in the book. I apologize. and uh, The dustbin thing is probably my fault, too. So, I'm um, 0 for 2 so far. Micah, as your punishment, read the next email. Bad boy. Bad, bad boy. <laughs> the next... Next email comes from Christina, 22, of Sweden. And uh, she says, uh, Hi, Mugglecasters. My friend and I really had to laugh about your discussion on whether J.K. Rowling still rides a bus. I always thought it was a nasty and untrue cliche that Americans drive absolutely everywhere by car, and I was surprised to hear that you really find the idea strange that someone who can afford a driver would go by bus. I'm from Sweden, so I can't really judge the situation in the U.K., but where I live, it's quite common for politicians and celebrities to go by train, bus, or bicycle, and I guess it's the same in most parts of Europe. Also, I think Joe would want her children to grow up as normally as possible, and in most parts of the world, that includes using public transportation. This is the first time I'm writing to you, but I've been a fan for many years. Thank you for never failing to make me laugh, even if this time it was unintentional. Lots of love, so Christina. We- we did get Joe's answer. We, we, this, this got brought up last episode when an, a commercial for Oprah had Oprah asking Joe the question, is it true you still ride the bus? And it cuts to Joe and she does this little shudder, but she doesn't answer because it's a teaser. So Joe ended up saying that she wrote it, I think, as recently as a year ago. So, all right, I stand corrected. Now I sound like an idiot that, that just believes Joe's too good to, take a bus but turns out that she still does and you know good for her buses are uh nice that's that's how uh well i mean you know. here mayor bloomberg goes by uh subway to work every day and he's a billionaire i mean oh, really? i guess people do use public transportation that are celebrities i don't think we were discounting that every celebrity has a driver that takes them somewhere but i was you were <laughs> <laughs> next email comes from seth 19 of new jersey my home state. Hey, Michael Cast, in your recent episode, 210, Micah had mentioned that Rita Skeeter, oh, is this you making a mistake again? Had mentioned that Rita Skeeter, Micah had mentioned that Rita Skeeter had found out about Bertha Jorkins' disappearance because, quote, it's just one of those examples of the press getting hold of information that they shouldn't have, end quote. I do, I do agree with this comment, but it's also probably because Rita is an animagus and was probably snooping around. So, Mike, you you weren't wrong here. It was just a little. We're extra not that far in the book yet, though. Right. We're we're we when we do these. I guess it's probably important to make clear when we do these chapter by chapter segments. We try to take it from the standpoint as as if sometimes as if we haven't read ahead because it, otherwise some of these things aren't really worth discussing. So we we take it from the information we know so far in the book in the previous book. Yeah, if it's necessary to make the point that something happens later on or you know we'll do that, but you know sometimes when you're quoting from further along in the book or further along in the series, it kind of takes away from what we're doing with the chapter by chapter. You know. Mike or Jamie, could you read the final email from Kyle? Yeah, Kyle 18 from London. 
nice place. Hey, Mugglecasters, my email this week relates to the comment on episode 210 about the fact that why did Durmstrang have no involvement in the final battle? Do you think that the students and teachers at Hogwarts would have trusted having them join in and fight? I mean, from all that we have learnt about them throughout the books, it would have been a big risks. risk. They don't let Muggleborns into their school. Their headmaster was a Death Eater. It's notorious for teaching the Dark Arts and was the school that taught Dark Wizard Grindelwald. Wouldn't it be more likely that they would join Voldemort's side than defend Hogwarts? Anyway, just my thoughts. You guys are great, and I've been an avid listener since about episode 70, keeping me up to date with all things Potter, which I can't thank enough. Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. That's about the time that Jamie, or Nick sounded like Jamie, or Jamie sounded like Nick. When? Episode episode 210? Two, two episode 70. Voice-wise, yeah. That should give the transcribers some difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that... Sorry, guys. <laughs> isn't that pigeonholing Durmstrang a bit? Like, saying that all of them would join up with Voldemort's side? And, and Karkaroff is dead at this point, so just because... It probably is true that you can't you wouldn't be sure, you know, sort of, you might ask them to join in, but then they could, there'll probably be a few of them that don't agree with fighting Voldemort, and I guess a few of them, you know, if they're insiders, could cause a lot of damage. Well, they can sit out. It's not like an American football game where there's a bench. (laughs) 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 Yeah, they're going to substitute Durmstrang in for this play, but... But, I mean, I don't know. Like, you would think that some of them that had come to Hogwarts to spend this year here would have come to fight uh, against Voldemort. I mean, just because Karkaroff led their school true, doesn't true. mean that they're all bad. I mean, I know Draco says earlier in the series that he thought about going to Durmstrang because of the dark arts. But Well, but but how long would it take for them to get there? Um, and apparate. Apparate. Apparat. But they couldn't couldn't into the. I mean, I guess they could right outside of oh, the school, true, but they true. couldn't into the school. I think it would be more so, effective though if if they if they came the same way that they did in this book. You know, the battle is going on, and all of a sudden, like you know that scene where you have the Hogsmeade <laughs> villagers coming. Yeah, I was thinking that, Andrew. I was thinking that. Yeah, the, the ship comes Pirates up. Of the Caribbeanish. Yeah, the ship comes oh, up, oh. and the the carriage comes in from the sky. You know, that that, that would have been it would make a great movie scene too. No, you see, I was going to say, like in uh, Lord of the Rings, when Aragorn runs forward and then the ghost army comes out behind him. That would be so yeah, cool exactly. if it was like that. Yeah. Instead, you um, got wimpy Hogsmeade villagers that are running with, like, pots <laughs> yeah, and all. But, yeah. but they're close by. And when you consider how detailed, how many people actually showed up for the final battle, it's almost sort of like, well, if Joe wrote them in, would they... Would it take up too much extra time? Because they would kind of, they would probably need a little introduction again. Um, yeah, I don't maybe. Know. I think yeah, there may have been some technical difficulties adding them in. Uh, and you can't have everyone. I mean, that's hmm. that's a good that that would be a good question for Joe. I do What's see that? what you mean, Mike, because like for the final battle, you know, it's like you know the fight for the whole of the wizarding world, and it takes that's place true. at a school. It's yeah. a, you know, you think it would take place in the capital, like, with with spectators and everyone, you know, joining the, the fight. Like, it is a bit sort of, I mean, you know, if the good, if the good people lose, surely Voldemort will reign supreme over the entire country. Although perhaps he won't, because you'll, you'll still have people fighting the fight from the Order of the Phoenix. So, I mean, what is the final battle for? Is it merely for Harry's life? when you consider it or is it for control of the whole wizarding world 
with Dumbledore gone, is it's quite you know unless Harry kills Voldemort, he's pretty much going to take over, isn't he? Yeah, I would I would say. Okay, Absolutely. so now, as we promised at the top of the show, it's time for a dueling club segment. We haven't done this in a very long time. This is famous witches and wizards, and how we play this, if I remember correctly, is <laughs> we take two people. In this case, the theme this week is famous witches and wizards, and we we figure out who would win. That's right. Actually, the last time we did this was the interview with David Heyman, That's Mike right. and Eric. You you, t- <laughs> you t- did this with him. Yeah, David Heyman <laughs> got the upper hand on me. I will say. I hear now that he, he plays like this with the... Yeah, he did, actually. Uh, really cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, you should listen to it. It was, it was pretty funny. He's, he's like, did, did, are you conceding defeat already, Micah? When Micah just keeps <laughs> up. <laughs> it was funny. Um, I hear that he plays this with the crew now. When oh, they're nice. Working together. I hope just he credits cool. us. I hope he credits us. <laughs> hey, guys, I heard this great thing on MuggleCast. <laughs> yeah. You want to play? <laughs> Well, Andrew, 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 I read a story, I don't know if it's true or not, that um, Emma Watson was in one of her classes at Brown, and the teacher asked a question, somebody, and she answered it correctly, then someone at the back said, 10 points to Gryffindor. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I heard that somewhere, too. That would be so hilarious. First up, Dumbledore versus Merlin. Andrew, you take Dumbledore. Jamie, you take Merlin. Andrew, you go first. Dumbledore is clearly clearly, ugh, clearly the greatest wizard of all time. There's no question about this. If if you ask anyone on the street who's going to win, Dumbledore or Merlin, more people will say Dumbledore just because they know him better. I mean, this is someone this is someone who's been fighting Voldemort all his life. What did Merlin do? Who did he fight? He didn't fight anyone. He didn't have to take down anyone. Did Merlin sacrifice himself for the for the greater good? I don't think so. All right, I think actually Andrew's completely wrong. And if you ask most people in the street, name a famous wizard, I think more would say Merlin after Gandalf than would say Dumbledore. I also think that if you consider that Dumbledore has the Deathly Hallows as the biggest legend surrounding him, and you think, well, that's quite a big legend, but it's only involved in the Harry Potter thing, uh, whereas Merlin was involved in the search for the Holy Grail, and everyone's heard of the Holy Grail, and if you'd entrust someone to that kind of task, they've got to be pretty damn powerful. Uh, And I think Merlin's probably got access to different types of wizardry, whereas Dumbledore is more of a Harry Potter, you know, uh, uh, book thing only, whereas I think Merlin uh, comes in different guises, and he's probably had more experience than Dumbledore. I think he's probably older than Dumbledore as well, and, you know, age is wiseness and, and blah, blah, blah. So uh, I think Merlin would uh, cane Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would just like to add add this um, fact to it. I mean, isn't Dumbledore like Order of Merlin first class? I mean, oh, there's no Order of Dumbledore. Oh, darn it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great, great. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. If I, do, I, I wish I just said that. I'd just been like, Andrew, what's the order of m- that Dumbledore's got? And he said, Merlin. And then I said, I press my case. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's, that he's not better. I mean, to be, to be fair, Merlin and Dumbledore never had a duel. So we don't know for sure. Just, just because, I mean, the only reason Merlin has this Order of Merlin award thing going on is because he was, he existed first. Or because he's, richly powerful and really cool and you know uh, kills wizards for show and could kill Dumbledore with his little finger maybe all right let's take let's take one more then all right uh Micah and Nick 
Ravenclaw. Well, who won that, by the way? I guess, I guess Jamie did with the Merlin. No, thing. no, no don't, don't put yourself down. Well, I can't. I can't go. I, the, the order of Merlin thing was. A that good was point. an awesome point. That was a, that was a great <laughs> point. <laughs> All right, Nick and Micah. Uh, M- Micah, uh, I will assign you Ravenclaw. Uh, Rowena Ravenclaw, right? We're doing that. And uh, Nick, you will have Salazar Slytherin. Nick, you go first. Why would Slytherin defeat? Why would uh, Salazar def- defeat Ra- uh, Rowena? Uh, Salazar Slytherin would kill Rowena, big star, because he's uh, more powerful. He has more skills. He has the he has the mindset to use the dark magic and cunning and to be deceiving and I don't know he's just just generally more powerful than Rowena. She she's got her intellect, but does intellect um, beat strength? Well, I, I think in, in in a battle that intelligence and wisdom is is more important than actual action. You need you need sort of the intelligent side of it in order to to outwit your opponent. And I think that. Rowena would definitely be able to do that on Slytherin. Slytherin, you know, it, it strikes me as somebody that rushes to judgment, not thinking before he acts. Whereas, you know, Rowena would think things through and, and possibly end up trapping Slytherin, uh, in, in some kind of way. I mean, she, she designed the, the, the moving staircases in Hogwarts. I mean, what has Slytherin ever done? Create some dumpy chamber in the basement of the school? Mm, all right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Nick. I'm going to have to give this one to Micah. I, I feel yeah. his argument was stronger. I concede. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys agree or disagree with us, feel free to write in and let us know why. And uh, maybe we'll read it on the I, show. I have a feeling we'll get a lot so on the Dumbledore Merlin side of things. <laughs> I think we're just going to get <laughs> people saying, that was an awesome point, Mike. That, that, that ended him. The, uh, <laughs> well, we have, a, we have quite a few uh, things going on with MuggleNet that we want to tell you about before we wrap up the show. First of all, a ton of giveaways. Uh, last week, we had a Hot Topic giveaway that was a lot of fun. We gave away two two Hot Topic Deathly Hallows t-shirts. Um, we currently have a pop-up book giveaway going on, as well as a... Which, which of these? I can't even keep track. We currently have an Ultimate Edition giveaway going on. And we also have the pop-up book one going on. What's going on with Film Wizardry one? Okay, so... Uh, by the time this show is out, it'll probably only be a, a couple of days away. We're going to be giving away uh, a couple of copies of the Harry Potter film wizardry book that we talked about on this show um, earlier. And uh, you know, I think what we'll do is we'll probably give them away through some creative contest that we come up with on the site, uh, as well as maybe give one copy away on this show. Maybe the next episode, episode 212. Uh, we'll give away Excellent. Uh, a copy of that. So look for that coming next week. The Ultimate Edition Sweepstakes, um, that's really cool because the grand prize winner gets uh, a brand new Blu-ray player as well as nice. uh, copies of Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire Ultimate Edition. And then there's um, some runner-up prizes uh, as well. So uh, that started today, which is uh, on Saturday, October 16th, and... Uh, you have all the way until November the 14th uh, to sign up. So you got uh, a little less than a month to be able to to win those prizes. So just a lot of stuff going on. And the pop-up book, that contest just started uh, just a 
few days ago. And that one, not only can you win a pop-up book, but you can also win four tickets to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park plus a $1,000 gift card to help you get down there. Wow. So uh, these these prizes are nothing to sneeze at. They're pretty good. Uh, and these prizes, by the way, are being funded right out of Micah's... Uh, wallet so yeah. very generous yeah, very generous of me and, and it's like everything is happening next week that october 19th prisoner of azkaban and goblet of fire those ultimate editions come out in stores that's when the film wizardry book is coming out no surprise there uh, that they would uh, look and the pop-up book and the pop-up on, uh, book um and i think october the 19th is when we will open up that um giveaway for the film wizardry book so just a Actually, I have a correction. The pop-up book comes out November 16th. But whatever. Point is, all this stuff is coming out, <laughs> and you want to buy it all. Or win it. So, Yeah, or win it, right. So best thing to do is just keep an eye on MuggleNet. We have lots of updates going on there. Also, quick update, Micah, regarding the Death of Hallow split script contest. Yeah, uh, people entered probably at this point over a month ago, and uh, we, we've had a little technical trouble uh, getting a poll together, but we've finally done that. So uh, hopefully by the time the show is released, uh, we will have the finalists up. A lot of people entered this competition, close to 100 entries. Um, you know, We thank everybody, obviously, for entering, because we know it takes a lot of work to sit down and, and write these things out. So um, you know, look for that, and uh, of course, uh, the winners... The top three will get a signed copy of MuggleNet.com's Harry Potter Should Have Died, which everybody should have a copy of. All right. And also content-wise on MuggleNet, we have new recipes, fan arts, uh, fan of the week, and a bunch of other stuff being updated every week. So check those out, as well as two new new additions to MuggleNet. For one, the Wizarding World Easter egg section. It, it points out all the little intricacies of the Wizarding World, all the little hidden things they have throughout the park. So if you're going to go, or if you want to go, uh, check that section section out so you're well prepared to know where you can find all the hidden little goodies throughout the park. Um, also, we have a new editorial added by Lady Lupin. She's a longtime editorialist for MuggleNet. She wrote this great article. It's been getting some amazing feedback from, from people who have read it about uh, comparing... Uh, book harry's growth and the knowledge that film harry has and what are the things that the films have left out that have an effect on book harry's ability to get to the climax of the story i yeah. uh, it's called half baked half baked prince half baked harry definitely check it out yeah mikey you loved it i know yeah no it was really interesting to read that because it shows you just how much the films have have left out and and she <laughs> really hit all major points Somebody said, way to go, Magonet. You're going to really upset WB. <laughs> we, we've done that we, a long time ago, so don't worry about yeah, that. We, and we didn't publish it in, like, you know, to be like, WB, you suck. It's just an interesting look at, you know, what they have left out. And, uh, you know, the screenwriters should actually give it a read. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, really, they'll feel really crappy really about should. themselves. <laughs> okay, so on top of all of that, please visit MuggleCast.com for all the information about the show. You'll be able to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and uh, send us in feedback that we actually read on the air, as you've seen. And also, like us on Facebook. We're about to cross 20,000 fans on Facebook. We currently... Oh, actually, no. We, we passed it this week. So, yay. We have 20,000 fans on Facebook. If you haven't become a fan of us on Facebook yet, just go to facebook.com slash mugglecast. And every time we release a new episode, you'll get an update saying, hey, the new one's out. Give it a listen. And you could talk with other fans who are also you know listeners and you can talk about the show right there on everything Facebook. that i said wrong in the show you can talk about it 
Yeah. Which is a lot. We quite frequently got yeah, Except that's Order that's of Merlin First Class. That's the name of the show. That is episode 211, Order of Merlin First Class. I'll call it Order of Micah. There, there you go. That's that? even better. That that yeah. may top the... Uh, Jamie, do you remember... I don't even know what episode this was, but uh, the... the uh, was it the Patronus uh, comment that I made about uh, the otter being related oh, to the weasel? That rings a bell. What did... Do you remember that? Oh, so yeah, yeah. It was something that made us laugh to do with that. Was it to do with someone's Patronus? Yeah, yeah. That Hermione's Patronus was uh, was an otter, and uh, that is part of like the weasel family. Oh, yeah. I think I remember you saying that. Yeah, yeah. That. Oh, Jamie like collapsed the floor. Yeah, yeah. He was like, <laughs> "Can we have five minutes or five moments of, <laughs> of silence to appreciate that?" You do come out with some insane points at times. Just, just blown away points. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's been a very fun show, and we'll see you next time for episode 212. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.